remember how a couple weeks ago you were saying you were really excited to get feedback and questions from our listeners? Yes, I do. So we got a really good question from someone recently that they asked me to address. And it is maybe one of the biggest obstacles that entrepreneurs in the U.S. face. Can you guess what it is? Healthcare. Yes. Is it healthcare? It's healthcare. <laughs> yes. Healthcare as an entrepreneur in the U.S. is absolutely insane. Um, and and I had gone through so much getting health insurance for us and had tweeted out um, a really long thread of, of the process because I think people who aren't entrepreneurs don't realize just how crazy and expensive and difficult uh, it is. Um, and so I thought today that I would share some of the things I learned as we went through that process, the different things that we we used and some of the tricks that I found to, um, you know, even convince health insurance companies that we qualified for, for health insurance with them. Great. So I want to start because this is one of the big inflection points for people um, is when we were first considering running the, the company full time. Right. So we, you know, we started Jucodio as a side project and ran it for three and a half years as a side project. And I, I think we we ran it as a side project for longer than probably most people would because we were afraid of, of health insurance. And, you know, something that's really important um, as an entrepreneur, I find it is understanding your own psychology. And, you know, we talked about this with Alex a lot. I keep I feel like we keep talking about that interview. Um, and you know, when I was a kid, my dad was a consultant. And so, so we had our own health insurance. And I remember my parents would refer to the company that we got health insurance through. And I think it was called U.S. Healthcare as U.S. Health Scare because it was just so terrible to deal with. And there was they were always talking about things about, oh, they wouldn't cover this or that, or this was crazy expensive, or this doctor we need won't actually take it. And like I just remember it was just always a topic of conversation. And I remember when my dad finally went in-house when I was 10 or so, like one of the big reasons was they wouldn't have to worry about health insurance anymore. I'm sure there are other reasons, but my 10-year-old self, that was that was one I picked up on. And so I think I always had that in the back of my mind, thinking about our own company and, and, and having a family. And I just had this idea in my head that getting your own health insurance as a self-employed person is really difficult. And then when you do get it, the insurance you get is awful. I still have that in my mind. I mean, that's a huge <laughs> driving force for it. You know, it is for my spouse or I, one of us will always have a like, quote, corporate job just for that reason. I mean, that's exactly what I think. Yeah, I guess because you guys have federal or or VA health insurance. Yeah, we had right? um we had health insurance under my previous full time employer, which was Blue Cross Blue Shield, and now we have it um, through my husband's job. But especially with kids, like that to me would be the biggest like scary point of us both going independent. Exactly. So that was the big scary thing for us. And so when I went full time, the plan was that. I would go full time and then my husband wouldn't because he had insurance through his job. 
And that only worked for about six months and just things were growing and growing and we couldn't stay on top of it with just me. Um, and so he went to his boss and said that he wanted to quit and his boss said no. And we were like, well, this is a good negotiating position to be in. So he ended up negotiating down that he would work three days a week and reduce his salary, but keep his full benefits. So we didn't have to lose health insurance, which was so, so great. Um, and then six months later, like we were just growing so much more, getting a lot of enterprise customers and like if stuff goes down and you can't respond to it immediately, um, you're going to lose customers, um, especially the big ones. So we ended up going um, fully full time two years ago, September. And so what we did for the first 18 months, which is, which so again, talk about this inflection point of when do I go full time? Um, which is kind of the next big one after how do I get something that works and makes money? Um, we did Cobra for 18 months. So Cobra is a basically a federal program for um, it's the continuation coverage. So, for example, if you lose your job, then you can continue getting health insurance. You just have to pay the full premiums that the company would be paying for you. So, you know, usually when you're an employee somewhere, you pay maybe 15, 20, 50% of the premiums. Instead, with COBRA, you get to stay on their plan, but you pay the full premium amount. And it used to be that you could be on it for 12 months. And then with the Affordable Care Act, this was extended to 18 months. Um, And so I think for us, this was about... $1,100 a month, um, which is a lot of money. Um, It was less than the marketplace plans we looked at at the time. And it was also, they made it easy, right? Because we kept our doctors. We we knew what we paid in in co-pays and what, like it was a known thing. And then we had to buy dental insurance on top of that, which I think was about 150 or so a month. Um, and that was actually really easy to buy. You could just like go on Delta Dental's website and just buy it. Um, you still end up with huge bills when you go to the dentist though. That was really annoying. So, so first we did Cobra and I would suggest if people have this option, it can be a really good one to just look into it. Um, for us, you know, like family premiums were $1,100, but the thing about that, it, it is a business expense. So if you have a business that is running and is, is profitable, then yes, you're going to take a hit on the health insurance, um, but it is a business expense, and so you get to write that off. Um, and hopefully, since you're working full time on your business, it can grow more. You can get more customers, and you can recoup that. So the next big inflection point for us came when Cobra was running out, and this was March of this year, and <laughs> I. I I dreaded that for 18 months, having to go to um, the marketplace plans because they are insanely expensive and terrible at the same time. Wow. I don't know if you've ever like looked at them just for fun. I mean, why would you look at health insurance no. for fun? But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would not do that. No. <laughs> so so let me let me. Um, I remember I, I went and and uh, I was like, OK, let me figure it out what it is like. Like, what is a plan that is 
you know, like takes our doctors. Like that was the one thing we wanted. So at least like we didn't have to switch pediatricians and stuff, right? Because like where we um, live, like it's really competitive to get into pediatricians and, you know, they, they all have waiting lists and, and we're like, let's just keep them. So I went to look at a plan that um, would take our doctors. And the cheapest one that our doctors accepted was $3,057 a month with a $6,000 deductible. Oh my goodness. That's awful. Yeah. And so we could switch doctors and go with an HMO like Kaiser, for example, but that still had a $1,500 a month premium with a $3,500 deductible. Wow. Wow. Jeez. Which is absolutely insane. Yeah. Like we would like for one of the plans, we would have 50% co-insurance with like for an ER visit after a $13,000 deductible. Like, and so if you had a $100,000 hospital bill, you would still be out $63,000. Oh my gosh. That's awful. Insane. And so we were looking at this and we're like that, like that, so that, that plan that our doctors take $45,000 a year in premiums and deductibles alone, not including dental, not including prescriptions and co-pays and everything else. And so at one point I realized I was like, that is an entry level employee's salary. Like, so as a business, we could choose between paying for health insurance or hiring someone. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Which is actually kind of sort of on a, on a tangent here. You know, people often outside the U.S. look at the U.S. and like, why do you have this crazy system where your health insurance is tied to where you work? And... And I, I will never forget being in an economics class in, in grad school once. And um, and professor said, do you know who we have to thank for the structure of the U.S. healthcare system? Ooh, I know, I know, I know. FDR. Is it FDR? No, it's Hitler. What? World War II. Yeah. Okay. It came about in World War II. Yeah. Yes. So the reason why they did this is because... Um, they needed to incentivize people to go work in the factories for the war. But normally the way you encourage people to work from an economic perspective is you raise the wages. The problem with raising wages during a war is that you then get inflation. And inflation on the home front is a really, really bad thing during a war because it ruins morale and it gives your enemies... um, you know, inroads into into the population and, and you know, because people are upset because their money isn't worth as much. And so they're like, how can we incentivize people to go into the workforce without paying them more? And knowing that a lot of the people who they would need to get into the workforce were women who would be concerned about their families, um, offering health insurance was the way to get people in without raising wages and causing inflation. Yeah, so This American Life, years ago, um, when Obama was president, had a great podcast on this exact topic for anyone who is interested and wants to learn more. Anyway, so back to us realizing that we could hire someone for the cost of health insurance, we actually considered going down that path. So we're like, we're like we had heard that you can't get health insurance if you're just um, a founder couple. And we just kind of took that as a, as a given. And we're like, okay, well, what if... Like we could hire someone and then 
get cheaper health insurance because I mean there's there's company plans like that HMO I quoted like you could get that for like seven or eight hundred dollars a month for a family on an employer group plan okay can I can I pause you here but you are a company why can't you get a company plan (laughs) because it's a spousal only group so there are some good, there are going to be some keywords I'm going to drop in here that are like things you're going to need to Google if you're looking for health insurance. That is one of them is a spousal only group, which is specifically like, you know, like people think of like mom and pop businesses. So, oh, and so one thing I forgot to mention on Cobra, by the way, you only qualify that if you work for a company that has more than 20 people. Companies under 20 people don't have to um, offer Cobra coverage, which really sucks if you work at a small company. Um Okay, so we are a company, which I was like, we're a company. We should qualify for health insurance as a company. But because we were a spousal-only group, whenever we went to go talk to all of the PEOs, so um, these are companies like JustWorks and and Gusto has a PEO. and like They'll basically administer all of your benefits and, and HR for you. They would not work with us as a spousal-only group. You had to have at least one employee um who who was not um you know like married um to to the founder on on the that policy. seems completely arbitrary yes so so we realized we're like okay what if we like hired someone like part-time for like yeah 15 or twenty thousand dollars a year and we ended up getting connected with um sort of an acquaintance of ours through the um, you know, microcon flareval entrepreneur world. And, you know, they had had issues with health insurance and it was like, oh, well, you know, like, like we could hire, um, you know, the, um, like our acquaintance's wife and like, she can work while the kids are in school and like, they need health insurance because they, they had been doing, which a lot of people recommended to me, uh, were called health shares, which we'll get back to that. Um, and, so we like looked into this, but then it ended up being like way too complicated because, and we still wouldn't have qualified because not only they they're they're in a different state, which meant that we would have to be incorporated and paying taxes in that state, and then we would have to have a separate plan in that state, and we would have to qualify for not being just a founder only spousal group in other states. So it actually would not have solved our problem because I think they were in Missouri or Arkansas, and we're in Virginia, and so. That didn't work out. But we actually went down the path of thinking about hiring someone just because of health insurance. So then the next thing we looked into, because they had talked about health shares, was like, okay, maybe this is something we can do. Have you ever heard of health shares or health ministries they're sometimes called? (laughs) No. So they are basically these organizations that it kind of functions like health insurance, except it isn't. So everybody pays into it. And then whenever you have to go to the doctor or whatnot, then they pay out of that sort of central kitty of money. But they're much, much cheaper, like $500 a month. The So the catch with them is in addition, they're not insurance. Usually they're run as a ministry. So they're, there's like usually specifically like Christian organizations and... I got some, some people have had really good experiences with them. Some people have had really bad experience with them. Um, For me personally, having to certify that I was Christian in order to get health insurance felt like the most screwed up version of American capitalism possible. Um, 
And I like just could not wrap my head around like coupling those things together. Um, and, and some people had some real horror stories with them, like not paying out. They also, oftentimes they won't pay for, you know, therapy or, or, um, other things like that. Like they have some, you know, specific things that they, they don't believe in and they won't pay for. Um, and so I decided that wasn't the route for us, but it is the route for some people. So I'm just going to mention that, um, as it's kind of worth looking into and seeing if that's going to be a fit for your family. So, at this point, I was feeling <laughs> pretty dejected, um, and then I had a I had a breakthrough. Yay! So tell me, I learned that there are a handful of states that allow small business owners to qualify for small business health insurance as a group of one. So basically, they allow. Something that uh, grammarians would would absolutely balk at that it considers one person, multiple people. Or there's also a, a spousal only group of one because you're legally considered one person. Um, and so you're also a group of one if you're if you're spousal only. And so I found this um, chart from the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is associated with Kaiser, but is a, a nonprofit that does health research. And it goes through every single state that says whether they have, um, what, what their definition of a small group is, which is usually two, but some states define it as one. And then whether they are guaranteed to issue insurance for a self-employed group of one, which basically means that does the, does the insurer have discretion on whether they will grant you coverage or do they have to grant you coverage like they would a larger company um so this table i want to say is is slightly out of date um but it's a good start so like for example so you know in connecticut like a group is is one person versus in california it's two um this was a really good start learning this specific language self-employed group of one spousal only group this was the search term that got me off on the direction of actually finding out that in my state because those marketplace premiums have been skyrocketing the last couple of years um the state actually passed legislation that made it so that for the purposes of health insurance um spousal only groups of one could be considered for employer health insurance. And this law in Virginia had passed in 2018 and became valid in like the middle of 2019. But I remember I, I even I had to like email the and call um, the state insurance commissioner the state representative who wrote the bill and my state representative <laughs> who I believe voted for the bill um, to confirm that spousal only groups qualified for this because there had been previous legislation about groups of one that specifically exempted spousal only groups from qualifying for it. Jeez. Right. So I actually ended up getting like like a like a letter from the commissioner of insurance in Virginia or an email saying that like yes specifically like spousal only groups qualify as um as groups of one and and, and can purchase employer health insurance so then I went back online to healthcare.gov and and it was like oh purchase small business health insurance 
they have their own rules for purchasing health insurance and we did not qualify to purchase small business health insurance through the marketplace. And I still don't understand why. And there are all these different rules about it, but we couldn't purchase it through the marketplace. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like it says that I can purchase it, but this is also saying that I can't purchase it. And so (laughs) it was crazy. So I ended up emailing a broker I had worked with years ago because um, years and years ago, I, I was the operations manager for a small digital agency. And I was responsible for buying the company's first health insurance plan. Um, and I have to say, like, if I had gone into this process without s- that understanding um, of the health insurance industry that I learned from that, like this, this would have been totally overwhelming, which is why I'm doing this. I'm uh, overwhelmed podcast. just hearing this story, Michelle. <laughs> like this makes me never, ever, ever want to have to find private health insurance. <laughs> I think I need to write a blog post because this is probably just yeah. like total, you know, this is so overwhelming, overwhelming okay. word vomit on <laughs> on insurance. So so anyway, so I ended up emailing this broker and I was like, I was like, can you just help me understand what this means? And like, can maybe can I buy insurance from you? Like, am I allowed to buy insurance through you? And um, and he was super nice. And, and he was like, you know, we usually work with larger companies, but, um, you know, the, here's a here's a broker that works with small um, businesses. And, and, you know, I have some clients who work with them and uh, and and maybe they can help you. And so I talked to this local broker, um, which I had I guess I had initially been kind of afraid to do because I was like, oh, we don't qualify. Like, we're just going to waste their time. Like, I don't want to even bother with that. They ended up being super, super awesome. And they said, no, like we have had had clients who are able to get insurance as a spousal only group of one. Um, You know, we can work with you in order to get through underwriting with them, which is um, basically like the 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 health insurance company then, you know, thoroughly goes through everything with a fine tooth comb, kind of like how when you get a mortgage, you get a pre-approval, but then you actually have to send off all your tax returns and bank statements and everything for them to like fully vet it. So so it was like stuck in underwriting with the health insurer for like two or three weeks. And I ended up having to send that paperwork that I had from the commissioner of insurance. Like I had there was like a policy letter I had found online and like something from the um, the state representatives I had, I had talked to. And then that email I had specifically saying the spousal only group of one qualifies in Virginia. And I ended up having to send it to them and in convincing the insurance company of what the law was and telling them what the law was because they didn't even seem to know it and it also it had just changed six months earlier um the insurance company did not seem super eager to work with us but we were granted insurance Um, and that took effect in march and i think we actually got dental included with that so i think it was about like 1300 a month um with what's your deductible none oh okay yes so it's yeah. better than your cobra coverage. super sweet oh way better than cobra coverage yeah okay yeah i think we're actually we're saving like uh a hundred dollars a month or something because because the dental and everything else was was included so um it actually ended, ended up being um pretty awesome but then of course the pandemic hit which is you know on the one hand, really great to have insurance, but also, you know, we stopped going to the doctor and to the dentist and everything. Um, and then 
um, and then we ended up moving to to Denmark this summer. Um, and so now we have ins- pay for insurance through our taxes. And so we never even used this amazing health insurance that I fought so hard to get. Um, but yeah, that that is the saga. Um, spousal only self-employed group of one are the search terms people are going to want to use when they are uh, tackling the unruly dragon that is U.S. health insurance. Um, it's awful, man. It's it's. it's I mean, so how many bad. hours of your life do you think you wasted trying to sort this out? Oh my out? god, like hundreds of hours, uh, hundreds of oh hours. Gosh, and then also there's so the expense of it, right? Like if you're thinking yeah. about, you know, running your let, let's say your your product is is making your salary right it's matching your salary which is a time when a lot of people considering jumping to full-time if you have a family you need to add 20 15 20 thousand dollars on top of that to really you know plus you know whatever you're paying in taxes right like to to get at what is your um you know what what is your fu money number right yeah um it's it's crazy it's i think it's the number one thing that holds people back from becoming entrepreneurs in the U.S. And and then it gets even more screwed up when you realize that that's actually the point. Like the, the point is for people to not work for themselves. The point is for people to work for companies because, again, the, the, the whole point was to um, encourage people to work for companies without raising wages, which is quite frankly, I mean, it's a crazy thing to look at a chart of, of wages in the U.S. In, since the 1970s and see that the, the cost of having an employee has gone way up for a company, but wages have stagnated because benefits costs, um, especially health insurance, have, have skyrocketed. Yeah. So can I summarize for those that are thinking about making this leap and trying it? First thing, use your COBRA as long as you can so you can have time to sort it out. If you have it, if you work for a company, if you have access people. to it. Yeah. Second thing, get on the internet and see if your state qualifies for this group of one company health insurance. Self-employed group of one. And if it's only you, you might have to add spousal only self-employed group of one. And then once you sort that out, you have to go to the marketplace and try and buy it. But they might not let you buy it there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even. Because they don't know the own laws. <laughs> if you don't have an employee, it doesn't seem like you can buy through the marketplace, even if your state allows you to buy small business health insurance without <laughs> So you have to find an independent broker and Correct. go through them. And then you're going to have Correct. to email them the email you got from your state, maybe. <laughs> telling you it's legal that sounds great so the thing about using a broker at least is that you don't pay extra on top of that like there's all sorts of kickbacks going to the insurers um it's kind of like when you buy a mutual fund or or life insurance like you're like you don't pay a fee to your agent like they're just getting a percentage fee um which is also this is also why you should be cautious about financial advice from somebody who works for big company but that's a topic for another day um (laughs) but basically your your broker is going to get get a kickback from the insurer and they will show you they should show you plans from from multiple insurers as well um but don't be afraid to go find a, a, a local um broker and and if you have a friend who you know works in hr for example for a company near you um in your state um Maybe ask them who, who they work with and, and maybe that whoever they work with can get you off on the right direction. You can also just Google it. But I feel like with such a complicated thing, people like to work with people who are recommended. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm glad you guys sorted it out. Eventually. It's a saga. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. And it's so expensive. Like I, I just, this the if if policymakers actually wanted to encourage small business creation, reforming health insurance and making it not so ungodly complicated uh, and expensive would would I would say is the first step. Anyway, did you get your 10 users yet? I did. Got them yesterday. So to catch everybody up, uh, because we, we had our interview last week with Michelle, which was so amazing, by the way. Like, I really want a VA after talking to her. Um, so Colleen got her image, image management service done and ready and into the Heroku marketplace, which is the first place she's launching it. And in order to get it out of of uh out of beta or into beta um, so it's an alpha it has to go alpha. to beta okay so in order to get it into beta with the heroku marketplace where like other people can search for it and sign up for it she needs to get 10 users um of it so did you get your 10 users got them got them yes! yesterday nice victory sliding yeah. in under the deadline i had written in on my calendar today ask colleen if she got 10 users and you're like this is my goal hold me to it and you did it that's one of the things i love about our coffee chats is as this is a side project i'm trying to fit in between work and life it helps to have our weekly catch-ups so i'm like oh, I got to do this because I told Michelle I was going to do this. So yesterday, instead of just like throwing it into the ether, like I targeted specific people I knew that I knew had a Heroku account. So I was like, hey, do you want to sign up? People like personal invitations and it worked. So I got my 10 users. So the documentation is almost complete. I wrote it once. Um, I got to go and add some documentation for other languages because I wrote it. It's very Ruby on Rails specific right now. Um, so I need to go back and add some other language support and then I submit the documentation for approval. And then I believe I have to talk to a real person, which should be fun. And then it's in beta and then it's, I can't charge for it yet at that point, but it's open and it's available on the marketplace to, um, allow users to sign up and try it out. So a couple of weeks ago, we were talking a lot about documentation and, I, and I'm curious if you, you kind of had a almost a mental block around it, um, I want to say, or you just really weren't looking forward to it. Like it was very much a, yeah. a chore. And, and I'm curious if you made any progress on it. I find that for me, writing documentation is like writing an English paper was in high school. Like, ugh, I hated starting. Now, once I started, it was okay. But man, starting was just challenging. And documentation is the same way. Two days ago, I started two days ago, so better late than never, right? I sat down and I started writing it. And once you start, it's okay, right? You get into it. And so I wrote my first draft of it, and then I was reviewing it today and realized I had I needed to include this for, you know, different um, languages. So it's almost done. So it should be done by tomorrow. So by next recording of our podcast I will definitely be in review I would hope they can turn it around faster than a week we'll see it sounds like you you said it's boring like a high school English paper but you didn't treat it like one you know I I mean I didn't start English papers until the night before so and you've actually you're editing it and (laughs) (laughs) Um, you're editing it you're going over it you're I mean maybe you were super conscientious in high school but (laughs) once I started getting into it it was fun B 
because I was able to like take a step back and try to put myself in the shoes of someone who's never seen this before. So it was good for me to approach it in that way, um, to really try and spell out all the details of what's happening, how it's happening, and how you can work with it. So it was actually kind of fun once I started, but man, there's just something about starting that's tough with that for me. I don't feel that way about writing code. Like I love trying to implement new features or whatever, but there's something, it's you know, I don't blog and that's probably why, you know, there's a lot of talk in the developer community. Oh, you should blog. Uh, I, I've written like five. There's a lot of talk in the developer community, about right? You should blog. You should have side projects. You should. No. Why? You don't need to do any of that. Let me just say, you don't need to do any of that if you don't want to do that. Um, the blogging thing, especially like, I love that other people do and I appreciate it, but it takes a ton of time. Um, and it's just not something I've ever been into. So, but you know what you are into is like solving your problem and not having to deal with this anymore. And I wonder if you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of Colleen six months ago who was slogging through uh, image management manually on a site and like imagine that you are talking to yourself six months ago and explaining this really cool tool that you have just found but you have to tell past you how it works. Yeah, totally. And so I'm trying to approach it in that way. Like, and it's funny because, so I have to write it in other, um, like I said, I have to use other languages and I don't know Node. I've never, I mean, I know JavaScript, but I haven't written anything with a Node backend. And so a friend of mine um, jumped on a call with me today to talk a little bit about the Node ecosystem and how if you have a Node application, the ways in which you might implement this and um, it was great to see his perspective coming in from like a completely different language. And it also, he was like asking me how something worked. And this particular part I had written like six months ago, I didn't even really remember. I was like, I don't remember if I preserved the ID or the name of the tag or both. So I had to go back in and check. So I added that to the documentation. So when I forget again in six months, I can look at my own documentation. Nice. Yeah. So it's good. You know, another thing that I'm thinking about, but it's a little premature to do, is I told you it's everything is written in such a way that I can pull it off of Heroku. Um, and I have more and more people interested in this that do not use Heroku. So my original plan had been to like go through the entire Heroku pipeline. But the problem with the Heroku pipeline is you have to get 100 people to sign up. That's crazy That's lots lot. of people. That's a crazy lot of people. Are you kidding? Like, I mean, if, if it took I get you, like, if you're getting basically five people a week, like that's going to take you 18 more weeks, right? Like it's going to take forever. So I don't, I don't, um, I'm not there yet. Like I've got to get my documents approved, but as soon as I'm in beta, I'm also going to maybe we'll see. We'll talk about it. Like 18 we can talk weeks, about like. How many more perpetual marches is that? I don't even. It just seems like, I don't know if I'm missing something. I, I, as I said, I think I actually get to talk to a human so I can be like, Hey human, really? Um, but, um, so I've get, I've had a couple people that are not on Heroku ask me to use it and I'm tightly integrated into the Heroku ecosystem cause I'm a rails developer, but I know a lot of people who are pure JS developers and they're not they're not using Heroku. So some of them are, but most are not. 
So I'm thinking maybe once I get everything rolling with Heroku, I will take the steps to release it into the wild. We can we can talk more about that, but but I've been thinking about that as more and more people have kind of been like, oh, I want to try it. And I'm like, oh, well, right now you can only sign up for Heroku. They're like, nah, I don't use Heroku. Well, I guess with being off of Heroku, you can also charge for it right away. Yeah, girl. So it may sure make can. sense to kind of, you know, yeah, as you said, once you get everything sort of set on Heroku, I mean, also you're removing your platform risk there. Like we, we talked a little bit about the whole don't build your house on someone else's lawn risk and you are diversifying that risk right away and can potentially start bringing in paying users faster yeah sounds like a win-win so yeah that might be that might be a win-win so i'm i'm thinking about that well we'll uh be excited to hear where you are next week awesome and um if anyone else has any other questions for us or things that you would like to hear us talk about, definitely feel free to tweet at us. You can find us at Software Pod. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of BrightBits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nucy Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.